Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, uh, this morning we are in our fifth week of our series called The Good Fight. What's it called, church? The Good Fight. And there are things that we need to fight for, and we are in our final installment, so we have officially rounded third, and we're, we're nearing home plate. I have to use my, my baseball analogy because my Cardinals are in the playoffs. Anybody excited about that other than me? Awesome. My son. I'm doubling his allowance. That's awesome. But, uh, but we are in the, in the home stretch, and we've talked about several different things, all of which are kind of shown up here on the stage, we've talked about how there's a, a, good, a good fight, and we've talked about the prophet, the message, where he fights for the truth. And then we we've kind of uh, took a week and we talked about the good fight of, of a poet and what a poet does, and a poet fights for the heart. And we didn't just talk about that. We've kind of started all of this off and talked about how the Lord has put in each and every one of us this ethos, this, this warrior instinct in all of us. And, and that is kind of the thing that I've wanted to maybe carry on week after week, that we have to have this warrior ethos. And in Exodus, it says that the Lord is a warrior. Our Lord is a warrior. And not only did, did he fight for the Israelites, that he fights for us. And I have to tell you, in my life, it's consistent. I know that he has fought for my salvation. And not just in bearing my sins, but, but he fights with the, the Spirit, his, his intention within me of pulling away from my sin nature to, to remove all the sins in my life and to just completely um, help me to abandon those sins. And it's a fight, if I'm honest. Because... I'm, I'm prone to these things as well. But yet, the Lord has called us not to cower, but to stand as warriors. But then also, we see up here, we see a crown, and we spent a, a Sunday, and we talked about how we are kings and queens. We're people of influence fighting for righteousness and justice. And I kind of pointed out that, that there are things in our life that we know and things that we see and consistent in the world today where we say those things are just wrong. And we talked about how we know that they're wrong because the Lord gave us a level of morality, something within us, a gift of, of grace unto us so that we as Christians, rather, so that we as people can help the world to be a better place. But then I said, we even, we as Christians, if you walk with Christ this morning, we are to a whole other standard because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if anyone should be fighting for that this morning, it should be Christians, the people of God. But then also, um, as you see, we have the poet, the king, prophet, the warrior, but then we have the white stole, which is what we come into this morning, and we're talking about the priest. What are we talking about this morning, church? The priest. And a priest fights for the faith. A priest fights for the faith. We see this consistent in the Old Testament. There was a certain way um, of which now is really kind of obsolete because we have Jesus. Amen to that. But in the Old Testament, we, the, there was the role of this priest, and the priests were from the tribe of Levi. And these priests were, they were wrestling for the people of God in that time, and they would have to make provision for sin, and people would have to come before the priest to have, you know, to have their sins, the, the guilt sins, and all the different sins that Leviticus talks about, the book of Leviticus talks about. And the priest was, was basically a go-between between the people and the Lord. But then this great and awesome thing that happened that we will talk about today. Now, we've been talking about the last four weeks about David. 
Now, there's kind of debate on whether or not David was considered a priest. We know that he was a king. We know that he was a prophet. We know that he was a warrior. We know that he was a poet. There's some, some tension theologically in different theological camps. Some say he was a priest. Some say he wasn't a priest. But one thing we do know, and this we will see, um, this will, we will see on the screen, that, that Jesus pointed to the greater priest. He pointed to the greater priest. Let's put that up, Dustin. And he was pointing to Jesus. It should be the next slide. There you go. It, that David prophesied in Psalm 120, verse 4. He says, you are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Now, this guy, Melchizedek, is kind of like a, a person we don't know a whole lot about, kind of mysterious kind of fellow in the Bible. But one thing we do know is he is pointing to Jesus that David is prophesying, he says, you are a priest. So he's, he's pointing to centuries from then, prophesying about Jesus. And he says, okay, Jesus is the, is the great priest. He is the high priest. David is prophesying. It's something the Lord has put in him. And yet he is deflecting attention away from himself in Psalm 120, verse 4, to Jesus. So Jesus is the great high priest, which reminds me in I'm just going to flip there very quickly. There is a certain chapter in the Bible, it's John 17, that is, uh, is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in this prayer, there are three specific things that Jesus prays about. He prays for himself. This is before his crucifixion and the beatings that he would endure for, for our sins and to take away our shame. Before that, but then also he prays for his disciples, the people who would be immediately, he's, he's fighting for the faith in, in a sense of for himself, to be, for the things that he was going to have to endure because though he was God, he was also man at the exact same time. He felt pain. He felt pain. And he prayed for his disciples. But then also we see in John 17, verse 20 through 23, I'll just read this. That Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. This is the high priestly prayer because Jesus is the great high priest that David's pointing to. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guess who he's talking about? Us. So Jesus, this is amazing. He's fighting for our faith. Thousands of years ago, he's fighting for the faith of all the believers who would follow after the disciples. That should be great news for us, that Jesus was wrestling and praying for us and fighting for our faith. And he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in them may be one. It's, and then he continues, he says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus is saying, I am praying for them. I'm fighting for their faith, although we didn't even exist at that point, but he knew that we would exist. He knew that we would, that we would become sons and daughters of God. And he's, he's fighting for our faith, and he says, I want all Christians who follow me, in this, in this fight for faith, I want them to have the same thing that the Father and Son have. This, this unity and this, this connection with the Lord that He's fighting for us and, and wrestling for us in this prayer. And He says, I want them to have the same thing that we have. 
And he says, not only that, I want them to have that, but yet I want them to have that so the rest of the world will see something different about them. The high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he's fighting for our faith. Jesus had faith. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples, all of which would be, would be martyred, and Jesus knew that. And now he's, he fought for us, and he said, he, knowing what, what the centuries would bring and the persecution that would come, and we're still persecuted today, knowing what all these things are, and Jesus prays over us, and he says, I want them to have the connection that the Father and Son have, and he's fighting for us. Where our scripture that we will get all of our application um, is Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, I'll just tell you this, what we know about the book of Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew Christians. Interesting thing about the book of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who the author is. People speculate that it was the Apostle Paul, but we're not absolutely sure. We do know... It, the reason why it was written. It was written to a group of people who'd kind of been stumbling in their faith. They had kind of gone passive in their faith and they weren't fighting for their faith anymore. They'd gotten comfortable and they've kind of set back a little bit and they were just kind of letting life pass them by. And whoever the author of Hebrews is, is going in and is interjecting in them. And we know this from scriptures like uh, Hebrews five twelve. This is on the screen. It says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So, the author of Hebrews says, we don't want you to become lazy. This group of people, the Hebrew Christians, they'd become lazy. They'd become passive. They had kind of lost their warrior instinct and they were just kind of letting life just pass them by. And the author is kind of bringing them to the carpet a little bit and he says, hey, your life is passing you by. You're not fighting for your faith. That as a matter of fact, it would, it would actually be conveyed several times that they were just living by the elementary truths of Scripture and they weren't digging into Scripture. They weren't living a life that God wanted them to. They were just kind of limping through life. He says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Well, Hebrews 12, specifically, if you know uh, much about the Bible or if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know that Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, rather, is what they call the hall of faith. That's a lot of Old Testament uh, people of faith. And this is the scripture that follows that, the next chapter. And in Hebrews 12, it starts out with the word therefore. This is important because therefore shows that there's a connection to the scripture previous to it and the scripture we're about to read, which I'll point that out in just a moment. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose Heart. First thing that I would like to draw our attention to, and this will be on the screen, is this idea of looking back. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, look back into the people that I just talked about in Hebrews 11. Look back to those, those great people of faith. We need to celebrate their faith. But really the purpose of, of Hebrews 11 is not that we would sit and celebrate the people. It's so that we would celebrate God's activity with the people. So the people are secondary to God's activity. And I think it would, it would bode us well for us to look back at the, at the activity of God and people of faith. Many times what, what we choose to do is we say, well, ah, I, don't want to, I don't even want to talk about that, the past. I don't even want to live in the past. And some of us actually have this misconception that the Old Testament is old. So why even read it? The reason why we read the Old Testament is because it points to Jesus. Just like Psalm 110 verse 4 said that David is prophesying pointing to Jesus. And yet we see in Hebrews 11 there are, there are people that are, that are celebrated. We see Enoch, he was celebrated. Abel was celebrated. The, the, the God's activity with Noah and Abraham. Abraham's mentioned several times, Jacob and Moses. These people were, were great people of faith, but the reality is they were broken people. And if you read the scripture and you study the scripture, I would, I would just say that if you were going to maybe do a study, an individual study, go through the book of Hebrews. All of which it just points and just brings depth to your walk with Christ. But in Hebrews 11, it talks about those people specifically. Noah, who believed God, and he was obedient to build the ark on dry land when people would mock him, and, and he was just, he was shamed by everyone else around him, but he trusted God enough to do something when God had told him to do it. Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah, they had never, they didn't have any children, and he said, you're going to be a great nation. And, and Abraham, it was like, okay, this doesn't really, com- this doesn't really uh, compute because We don't even have a child. How can we become a nation when I don't even have a son? I don't even have a daughter. I've got got nothing at this point. But he believed God. And the word says that it was credited to him as righteousness. So you see people of faith like this, and it would bode us well to look back upon them, not that we can just sit back and and look at them and and look at at it like it's a, a book of history, but to see God's activity kind of celebrate the work of God in those situations. One of the reasons why we know this is that it's, it's talking specifically this idea of witnesses. That, that word, witnesses, is actually the Greek word martus, which is, which is another a rendering of that is a martyr. So it says, look at the great people of faith. Look what God has done through them so that you and I would be able to not necessarily walk exactly in their shoes because I'll be honest with you, I don't want to live the life that they live because their lives were messed up. But yet, I want to have God's activity in my life that other people would notice. I want my life to mean something. And when you see God's activity in His people, it's exciting, it's liberating. If, if, has anyone in here ever been encouraged by looking at someone else's life and seeing God being active in someone else's life? It's incredible. It's encouraging. And we sit back and say, man, I want some of that. And I have to tell you, you can have that. We're, we're going to take, in the month of November, we're going to take four weeks and we're going to talk about this in a series called Uprising. And we're going to talk about not just the, the different levels of faith, but we're going to kind of look at, at some of these people that I just mentioned. And we're going to kind of look at their life and see what God did. 
in hopes that he would do some of those things and even greater and more abundant things in our lives. And we're going to take four weeks and talk about it. This series called Uprising. And then at the end of verse 1, it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So not only do we, do we have to look back, but also we need to throw off everything that hinders. I'll tell you a story. Back in January, I, I ran a half marathon. Now, it was, I'm not like uh, one of those guys who I was like all ate up on running. I'm, I'm not really built to run. Um, I'm, I, I actually said yesterday I'm more built like a bowling ball than I am a runner. But I, I decided that I set a goal and I was going to run this half marathon. So I did. Well, one of the things that, that I didn't necessarily take into account is it was going to be 28 degrees at race time. That's cold, okay? So it was 28 degrees at race time, and I had trained well. I'd been training for four months, and physically I knew I could do it. I had already ran the distance, but there were other variables that I didn't necessarily take into account. The fact that it was 28 degrees at race time being one of them. So how, much, how, how many layers of clothes do you put on? Can you run if you're like, you know, like Ralphie's little brother in a Christmas story? I can't get up, you know, like what do you do? Do I like clothe up like this and then run down, down the road? I mean, that would be great for pictures and be a great photo op, but that would be humiliating. I'm like, what's the balance? How many layers of clothes to be able to function? Well, I remember distinctly, and then I realizing it was going to be cold, and then I look at the website, the race website, and it says that there are these clothing drops all along, like everywhere there's a water station. I'm thinking clothing drop. It's 28 degrees. I'm like, what do you need a clothing drop for? You know, you should have the option to put on more clothes just in case you're freezing. But I remember that, I kind of layered up, and I had several different layers. But I remember specifically, as I got about mile five into the race, my body was kind of, it was warm. At least my lower body was warm. My upper body was, was starting to get warm. So I thought, well, I'll take my gloves off. I had put these safety pins. I, I really looked like a homeless man running, actually. But I took these safety pins, and I took my race gloves off that I paid good money for, and then I, I pinned them on my shirt. And then or on, my, on my jacket. But then as I'm running, I realize I look like an idiot. So then I took them off, and then I, I hid them because, well, actually, what I did was I saw another person who was running in front of me, and he had him tucked back here, like in, in his waistband. So I thought, well, I'll do that. Well, that didn't work, and then I'm running the whole time. So now it's, it's really starting to bother me, and I'm really starting to get hot, and I've got layers of clothes on, and I don't necessarily know what to do. So I had taken my jacket off while running, I took my jacket off and I tied it around my waist. And then as I'm running, I'm thinking, I look more and more like a woman right now, so this isn't going to work out. So then I decided, while running, and then I put the, the jacket back on and I unzip it, I'm uncomfortable. I had trained, I had done all these things, but I didn't realize that there were going to be things that were actually obstacles for me to finish the race. So then as I get on and on and on, and I get about mile 10, it starts to be, not, I'm not really fatigued, but I'm just very uncomfortable with everything that's going on. And I'm taking my hat off, a stocking cap, and then I put it back on because it's freezing and all these things. And you know what? So many times in our life, we need to simply remove all obstacles for us to, to fight the, the good fight of faith that the Lord would want us to. We need to remove all obstacles. For me, for me to finish that race... I had, to, I had to remove obstacles. Now I knew why everybody had put down the clothing drops and all of that. I was afraid I'd never get my clothes back, so I didn't throw anything off. But for us, we need to remove all obstacles. 
If you want to fight the good fight of faith that the Word talks about, we need to remove obstacles. There are some things that will be on the screen. Dustin, I need your help on this one. Remove all obstacles. That's where we are right now. And then you go through and click one more time. There are these things that we have obstacles in our life. There are leeches in our life. Has anyone ever had a leech on their body anywhere? Anyone? It's gross, right? It is incredibly gross. You, you get a leech off one of two ways. You either cut it off or you burn it off, right? Because you're not going to be able to pull it right off, most likely, if it's been on there a little bit. For us, we have obstacles in our life, and I would say leeches are people who actually draw us farther and farther away from God. People who drain the energy of us. There are times, and now I'm telling you as your pastor, it's okay to cut yourself off even temporarily from certain people. There are people, if if I'm blatantly honest, there are people in your family that you need to remove yourself for a time because they're drawing you down and they're depleting your energy and yet you can't walk with Christ and and walk with people who, who deplete all your energy and pull you back. We have, there are leeches, there are people who, who hinder our walk. I'm not saying that you need to just turn your back on people and forget people. I'm not, I'm not mentioning that, I'm not stating that. But there are times where you have to intentionally create distance between people because you can either, in, t- in certain situations, you can either walk with Christ or walk with people. And I'm going to choose Christ every time. There are leeches. There are people who draw us away from God. And yet, we, and Satan will use this, and, and even in our mind, and he will, he will convince us that the thing that we need to do is, well, you can't turn your back on them. You have to stay with them. But yet, all it's a, it's a self-defeating process because the more that you hang on to them and they hang on to you, the less you can become like Christ. And the less fight you have for your faith. And then to a different level, this idea of leaks, leaks. By leaks, I mean financial leaks, overspending leaks. These are obstacles to our faith. Many of you, many of you and people who would hear this message will not, will not step forward in faith and give the Lord an offering or your tithe or do anything like that and won't give Him your time because you have all these leaks in your life. And you think to yourself, you know what, I can't, I can't do this for God because I have this going on and because we're not financially responsible. We have these leaks, financial leaks, that we're giving money here and we're doing this and we have this pleasure and we have all these things and that we, can't, we can't fight the good fight of faith that we're supposed to fight. Yet we can control that. That we have these leaks, financial responsibilities that we create, the messes that we create. But then also we have a lack of limits. This is talking about Somebody who's, maybe who's, who's excited and they overcommit to things. Maybe even overcommit to good things. See, the sad thing is we need to remove all obstacles that hinder us from fighting the good fight of faith that Christ would want us to. And sometimes they're even good things. But the Lord just doesn't want good things for us. He wants great things for us. So we have leeches. They're people who, who, who just drain us, take the energy out of us. We have these leaks, these financial leaks, and yet we have this, this cloud of, of doubt and worry and all these things because of messes that we create. 
And then to another level, we have a lack of limits. So then we overcommit. We, we, we're not living the life that God wants us to in our homes. We overcommit in things that don't matter. We spend too much time at work. We're doing overtime at work. We're trying to, to acquire all this money for things because we have these financial leaks in our life. And the thing that suffers in those situations is our walk with Christ. But then we see lies. Now, by lies, I'm talking about the things that Satan tells us. Satan speaks to your emotions. Satan causes you to doubt, causes you to worry, causes you to have anxiety. And he tells us lies because Satan doesn't want the best for you. He doesn't want you to fight for your faith. He doesn't even want you to live a life of faith. You may be secure eternally. You may be one with Christ, but Satan may not, he's not going to be able to take that away from you, but one thing he can take away from you is your testimony. He can take your witness away from you. And yet the word says that we need to look back and we need to, to have these things and that the great cloud of witnesses The reason why we can look back at these people is because the things that they have done and how they lived out their faith. And yet we're called to do the same thing in our day, in our time, so that people outside of the faith, the people who are far from you, your co-workers would look at you and say, wow, they have their priorities right. How do they have that peace that, that transcends all understanding? Well, they have that peace through Christ. Well, how is it that they can invest in things that matter? Well, because they don't have all those financial leaks that the world does. That they're not, they're not living in the world system. They're living under God's system. Well, why is it that that person doesn't sit at the lunch table with everybody else who talks gossip and who slanders and talks bad about their, their husbands and wives? Well, the reason why is because they know that those people are leeches for them right now and that the, they are compelled to live like Christ. And the great thing about that is Our witness is to be viewed from people who aren't walking with God because the very difference that Christ makes in our life is the thing that's compelling to them. We need to remove all obstacles. Continuing on in the scripture, at the end of verse 1, it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For us. You know, when I did that half marathon, I never considered walking, not even one time. Even as I was was taking clothes off and hanging, you know, gloves to myself and, and looking like a homeless man, I never once considered walking. I wanted to finish running one way or another. I didn't really care what the time was, but I wanted to finish running. And I have to tell you, for for us this morning. That, that we need to plan to run. We need to plan to run. The Hebrew Christians, they hadn't planned to run. They were just kind of limping through life. They were just casually going through. They weren't fighting for the faith. They weren't doing, living a compelling life whatsoever. And they were just kind of numb and they were kind of lazy and they were kind of slacking off in their relationship with God. And they hadn't planned to run. They were just kind of walking through life casually, like a casual observer. And yet for us, we have, if you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we need to plan to run. 
that the Word says right here, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That means the Lord has a plan for you and that you need to finish running. And life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And it is difficult. And yet the Lord wants us to run. Many, if, if, if we're really honest, and if you were to, to just tell me what's in your mind right now, after I get ready to say this statement, I bet you would say this. There are many times in my life, my Christian walk, really, my life as a Christian, where I simply walked. And I kind of was just in a daze. And I would say that there's many, many times that goes back to what you believed about God. That you've received salvation and you thought, you know what? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now I get to live my life the way that I want to. You see, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your personal Savior, you're basically committing your life into His hands and saying, I will do what you want to do. I'm going to run the race that you have marked out for me. I am going to do exactly what you want me to do because you have a plan for me. That means that I don't necessarily have a plan for myself anymore, Lord. I put that in your hands. And I'm planning on running because I know that, you're, that your plan is better than my plan. I know that your purpose is better than my purpose. And many of us as Christians this morning, we're simply living a Sunday-to-Sunday Christian existence. And we wonder why on Wednesday morning that we doubt and we have shame and we have fear and we have guilt. Is because the Christian life was meant to be one where we run the good race. That we run the race. That, we, that we're so connected with the Lord Jesus every single day. Not a Sunday to Sunday you know, church Christian existence. That it would be a daily walk with Christ. A lot of that goes back to us. in our plan to run. And what's shameful is that you may have been, you may have received Christ 20, 30 years ago and you may have a, a misconception on what the life of a Christian even looks like. Many times people hear the gospel and they think the gospel is just a momentary thing. I received the gospel, I'm eternally secure, so now I'm good. Now I'm going to be a good boy or girl, good man or woman, and I'm going to go to church on Sunday and everything's going to be good. And I would say, if that is your life, you need to read, you personally need to read the book of Hebrews because as Hebrews 15 said, that this group of Christians had become lazy. They had lost their desire to fight for their faith. They had lost their, their, their ability to even understand what it is to, to live the Christian life. And the author, the author of Hebrews just challenges them. And he challenges us this morning. And he says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. That means we need to plan to run. Fourth thing this morning. In verse 2 it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith the author and perfecter of our faith. The author, as Jesus being author right here, doesn't necessarily speak of, of creation, creating life. What this, is, um, what this is really, like a synopsis of this meaning is that he pioneered the path for Christians to follow. 
that Jesus pioneered the path for Christians to follow. And he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes. And I, I would say this, and the next point of application this morning, is that we need to push past. We need to push past. Whatever your current thing that you're experiencing, you need to push past. You need to use all of these things that I've talked about this morning. You need to plan to run. And we need to push past the barriers of life. You go through things in life, and you go through, we go through hard times, every single one of us. If we're honest, every single one of us has, has gone through an incredibly hard time. And we need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Short poem that speaks into this. Push past the fear, there's no victory there. Push past the pain, removing its constant drain. Push past the doubt, for you are better without. Push past your sins, because that's where real life begins. That's where real life begins, church. 1 John 4, 4 says this, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How can you get through hard times? Jesus. How can you have the influence in your workplace? Tell me, church. Jesus. How can we come together and not just have meaningless gatherings? Jesus. He is the reason why we can celebrate, not just Sunday to Sunday, but every single day. We can celebrate the work of Jesus because he who is in the Christian this morning is greater than he who is in the world, as 1 John 4, 4 says. Can anyone amen to that? Y'all are looking like you don't believe it this morning, if I'm honest. Thank you. The reason why we can live the Christian life is Jesus. The reason why we have a reason to fight for our faith is Jesus. The reason why we can fight for, for our hearts and fight for other people's hearts is Jesus. The reason why we need to have a warrior ethos is Jesus. The reason why we need to fight for truth is Jesus. The reason why we need to fight the, the social injustice and we need to bring righteousness into the world today is Jesus. A couple questions to guide us this morning. Are you the person you thought you'd become? Are you the person you thought you'd become? I'll take it to another level. Are you the Christian you thought you would become? Are you living the Christian life that other people would take notice of? Would people even know that you're a Christian? Do people just look at you and say, oh, she or he, they, he's just a very, he, they're just good people. Or would they look at you and say, wow, they are Christians, they are on fire, and there is something compelled, compelling about their life. Question, as far as that goes, is are you living the fullness of the Christian life? Or are you just content? Are you content with just doing this every Sunday? I would say if you are, you're missing it. Are you running, walking, or are you on the couch? Are you running for Christ, pursuing Christ, 
Are you walking? Or are you just sitting comfortably on the couch? And this one I thought about a lot, actually. Do you think Satan is threatened by your faith? Do you think Satan is threatened by your faith? Do you think that Satan says, whoa, man, that person is almost untouchable. Like that person is, is just as Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, as he's praying for us, that we would be one with God, like, like the Father and Son are together. Do you think Satan takes notice of your faith and he says, wow, that person is, whew, they are living, they, they are living the Christian life. Do you think Satan is threatened by your faith? I want to be a dangerous Christian. Not dangerous as far as crazy. There's a, there's a difference there. I've already got the crazy down. I've been working on that for years. I'm good with that. I want to, I want to, I want to live a, a life with dangerous faith where I am just so close to the Holy Spirit that I'm just so close to the Lord that when the Lord speaks, that I will absolutely know that He is speaking to me and exactly what He's saying. Does anyone else crave that this morning? I want to live, live that kind of life where I'm just sitting at the feet of Jesus and I'm just sitting and I'm right there and when He speaks that I absolutely know that He's speaking, I absolutely know what I'm supposed to do and then I would honestly obey. Not because I want to get anything out of it, because I want to serve my Savior. And if Jesus, in his prayer, would pray for us so that we would have a relationship with the Lord and he would fight for our faith, don't you think we should fight for our faith also? So I'll ask you again Are you running? Are you walking? Are you just sitting comfortably on the couch? I don't think we should be happy with anything other than running the race that Christ has put before us. And we need to take, we need to take an honest inventory and say, are there obstacles in my life? Maybe it's not a list of the four that were on the screen. Are there obstacles in my life that I need to make a personal choice that are hindering me from fighting the good fight of faith that I'm supposed to? Am I creating my own mess? Am I, am I just kind of surrounding my life with negative people? Am I, am I, in, the wrong, am I in the wrong profession? And you feel like you, they, maybe some of us, and I, I felt this way when I worked... When I worked in the aviation field, I remember going to work in certain times where I would question God and say, are you sure you want me here? This place is just filled with filth. I'm like, are you sure you want me here? And just as I'm speaking to you today, the Lord confirmed in my spirit, and he says, you know what? I wouldn't want you anyplace else. Somebody's got to bring the light in the darkness. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world.